Emma, guess what? What, Stuart? I tried this. And it worked? It worked! <laughs> Welcome to I Tried This, It Worked, the place for curious ADHDers. This is an upbeat, optimistic conversation about how we can live life with more ease. Pull up a chair. Come and join us. I really love having ideas. Um, it feels like it's, it's what my brain is meant to be doing. I love it. Of course, not all the ideas are brilliant. I love it. And it's easy. They just keep popping in. In fact, if you were to see me as a, as a graphic, you would see light bulbs all, all around my head at all times. I'm always thinking, no matter what I'm looking at or hearing, it just they just keep popping up. I like the image in my head of a sort of a fountain of ideas or sometimes like a pinball machine, ideas jumping here, there and everywhere. A lot of you out there with ADHD might recognise your ability for, oh, what's the word for it? Ideation, is that the word? Yeah. Having lots of ideas. And it's interesting because we, in, we know it inherently as ADHDers, right? We know it, we feel it. And... Of course, I have not met every ADHD adult on the planet, but those who I have met seem to be idea people. Of course, people without ADHD, it goes without saying, are also ideas people. It's, it's just, I think, that sometimes we can kind of become overwhelmed by the amount of idea creation. And I don't know about you, Stuart, there are so many different situations that trigger ideas in my head. My favourite, if I need to think about something, if I need to find solutions or ideas for anything in particular, I will go and I will sit on a bus, on a train. I could be going anywhere. And there's something about the, the landscape moving fast past my head, which kind of takes up part of my brain. And it allows the, the rest of my brain just to kind of focus and concentrate on connections and ideas and new thoughts. I think that's a great illustration of how when we can not focus on the road ahead, right? When we can sort of take our hands off the wheel, that our minds can expand even more, especially when we need an idea out of necessity, right? I call it the problem solving idea when we need a remedy or a fix, or it doesn't mean anything's broken. It just means we, we're, specific, we're on a mission to come up with a new idea. And for me, I can go out on a run because I, the whole idea is that I don't really have to focus on the run. I can do a body check-in. However, uh, it's almost like when you're on public transportation and I'm out running, I feel very relaxed and it's a tremendous idea generator. Uh, there's no phone with me. I won't have disruptions uh, as long as I, I, I watch where I'm going and I cross streets safely. Uh, ideas will just flow and pop. It goes without saying, lots of people will get in the shower. <laughs> the shower is a great place for ideas, isn't Agreed. it? Agreed. Uh, uh, but the best thing that I will do for myself is just to go for a walk. It can just be around the block. It can be you know, in a wood or something or just out somewhere, that whole process of walking. I have to say, I've become a bit obsessed by Andrew Huberman from the Huberman Lab podcast. If you haven't come across him, please give him a go because he just has this wonderful insight backed by science. 
his podcast number 57. It's got the great title, Stuart. You can see why I started listening to it. It's called Optimising Workspace for Productivity, Focus and Creativity. What a great title. I mean, (laughs) it's fantastic. It is a great title. And within it, he was talking about the different environments for analytical thinking versus divergent abstract thinking. And there is a theory called the cathedral theory that in low ceilinged environments, like in an office, our brain is very good at analytical thinking. But in high ceiling environments, that's why it's called cathedral thinking, our brains become more expansive and it galvanizes our ability to creatively think and to think divergently. It really made a big resonance with me because when I go out for a walk, which has got the highest ceiling possible, (laughs) the sky, um, it enables my brain to sort of generate and be comfortable with this flow of ideas. Now, I'm going to leave Mr. Huberman to explain the science because, as usual, (laughs) I remembered it at the time. I understood it at the time. It completely left me now. Um, But I thought it was interesting. And I wondered, Stuart, are there areas that, say, like being out in nature that that help stimulate ideas in your head? So this is fascinating for me because I've never really categorized it. And upon reflection, upon reflection, I can tell you that it is true for me. So when I go out for the run or the walk or if I go up to the lake house and sit in in the great outdoors, yes, It's brainstorming. It's sort of that think tank. It really inspires broad thinking with no rules. However, when I need to come up with an idea to more problem solve, as I had mentioned before, I will oftentimes even put a cap on with a brim so that it keeps me focused and I don't have a distraction of all the other ideas that pop into my head about what I could do, should do. Uh, wouldn't that be fun to do? It keeps me focused on something specific, right? It's more, so I I, I do like what he's saying is truly true for me. Mm, Yeah. You can't get a lower ceiling than a brimmed cap, really, can you? It's a (laughs) fantastic way to do that. Of course, you know, this whole idea about idea generation uh, is brilliant in one way. It's, I find it energizing and invigorating and I really like it. But then There is a problem with the overwhelm of having too many ideas. We only have one life. There's only so many things that we can do with it. And not all of our ideas, of course, are created equally. There will be some good ones. There will be some great ones, hopefully. But there will also be some really poor ideas as well. And there is a bit of a challenge to work out which one is which, which category they fit into. You said something recently about how you prioritise ideas, Stuart. I do. And I, I call it the, the good, better, best approach to ideas because it's true. It, it can become overwhelming. Uh, you know, we oftentimes read the phrase energy burst, right? ADHDers oftentimes experience energy burst. I call it the idea explosion, right? Or a cascade of ideas or an idea cascade to remove the preposition. And they just come too fast, too frequently. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not too great because we feel overwhelmed. And I can sort of slow down and shut down if it becomes so overwhelming. So here's how I prioritize. I sit down and figure out pros and cons. Where, where should I start? Eliminate these or put these on a shelf. And we'll, we'll get to those, how, how we remember those other ideas, right? The better way is to ask somebody else. 
help me here. I, I can't see the trees through the forest. And she will, or he will, prioritize for me. And I like that. The best way, which is, of course, the most difficult to achieve, is not to allow myself to have all these other myriad of ideas. Because if, if I was able to stay focused and not allow all these little light bulbs to keep popping off, then I would save brain space now, wouldn't I? I would be able to prioritize where my brain, where my thinking, where my energy would need to go. And boy, that's tough. It's, it, it's easier said than done. Well, good luck with that, Stuart. Amazing thing to <laughs> aim for. Um, let me drop in a quote from Edison here. Uh, the value of ideas lies in using them. And that's where I think some of us may have the biggest challenge. Uh, it's great creating ideas, but it's the activating those ideas, making those ideas come to life, which may be more of a challenge for us with ADHD because it requires executive functioning. It requires that planning and that timekeeping, that thinking into the future and that strategizing and basically the focus, the focus to take your idea from an idea and make it real in the world. So I look at this in, in a particular kind of structured way. So there is the actually having the idea. But then once you've had the idea, you need some way to record it and sort it and then you, you need to store it. And the most important thing is that after storing it, you need to know how to retrieve it and then how to act on it. All these parts can basically trip you up potentially. So let's look at capturing those ideas. Uh, how do you do that, Stuart? I have three primary ways of collecting them. And, and what's fascinating is as, as you and I talk during these are these conversations, and we realize that while we have so many similarities, we also have different practices. You've tried different ways that work for you. I've tried different ways, and this is where the curiosity comes out as we divulge these and 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 hear other ideas that may work for us. So for me, uh, number one most important thing is the little yellow notepad. I have one by my bedside, in my bathroom near, next to the sink, in the kitchen. I put even in my car with a pen or a series of pens because they always get lost so I can write it down right away. However, if I'm not in a stationary place, if I'm on the go, I will use my voice recorder if I'm out for a walk. If I'm out for a run, it's a little harder because that could be a little dangerous. So Th th those are really the, th the three primary ways. My voice recorder on my phone comes in very handy. Oh, my goodness. Notebooks. They are my kryptonite, Stuart. So I love the way that you emphasize that we're all different, that something that works for you might not quite work for me. And that's the same for everybody out there listening. There will be things that really work and things that really don't work. If I'm trying to capture something, I often use mind maps and I'll have it about a particular theme. But recently, I've come to the conclusion that the only way that I can actually keep hold of those important ideas is literally to pin them on a pin board so they're there. And I have many pin boards over my office walls now. If they're on the pin board, I haven't lost them. They're visual. I can see them. So that is something that I've started to really explore and develop. 
Um, one of the worst things about, about having ideas is the moment that you have them. Is it an appropriate moment to have the idea and to record it? And you're having a conversation with somebody and they're saying something and you have an idea not related to the conversation at all. And in real life, you don't get the opportunity to actually just stop time, stop them, freeze them. You go away, write down the idea, you click your fingers and they start talking again as if nothing had happened. What you end up doing is trying to focus on the conversation, also trying to remember the idea. My working memory can be quite shoddy. So I'm trying to balance those two things. But I know, Stuart, because you've told me that you have a technique in the middle of a conversation for trying to remember an idea. I do. And I have to tell you and everybody that when I'm having a conversation with somebody, I really try to give them the gift of my full attention and my time. And that doesn't mean that the brain shuts off with the idea generation. It could be a related idea or completely irrelated idea to something else totally different in my life. So here's what I do. I will actually take my hand and make the number one, right? Sort of make a fist, but a number one. Or if I have two ideas, I'll hold up two fingers. Now, nobody else can see that because my hands could be behind my back in a, in a proper position or in my pockets or just straight down. So what happens is it's a physical cue for me. I can say, okay, Stuart, you can let go of that idea because you know that you've got a finger out. So after your conversation is concluded, why is that finger up? Oh, right. You had that idea of how you're going to fix the garden up when you get home. It's not foolproof, but it's better than interrupting or completely losing my focus on who's speaking with me. So I love that. It's a very simple strategy. But when you say it's not foolproof, how often does it work for you using that strategy? <laughs> You could see my face after when I look at my two fingers saying, why am I holding up two fingers? Now, here's the good news. When I'm in a relaxed state, as I'm preparing to go to sleep or I'm in the shower or I'm on the walk, it's one of those things where it may just pop right back in. And and here's here's the way I have to come to terms with that. Well, if it left my brain, if it's gone... Maybe it was unnecessary at that time. It was extraneous because let's face it, and I'm speaking for this ADHD guy right here, I have too many ideas at any one given time to ever execute, initiate, activate, implement any of them or all of them because they become such a distraction. Coming back to your very original statement that we, we can't do them all. Uh, we can't express them all. They just happen and they can be become a cluster and weigh us down. So sometimes letting it go is okay. Oh, I feel a bit stressed about the thought of letting an idea go. <laughs> I have a, a sort of a kind of belief that all ideas that we ever have are kept in our brains somewhere um, and they sometimes will pop up maybe six months, a year, two years later when there's a set of conditions which remind us of them. And I hope this is true <laughs> because it fills me with sometimes a bit of despair to think of the ones that have floated away into the ether. That's another issue about where do you actually store your ideas. If you're digital, if you're hard copy, it's okay storing them, but it's how do you get back to them? 
it was only just at the beginning of this podcast that I thought I might try something, which is to keep an ongoing list of ideas. Now, some of these ideas will never get activated. They will never get done. But it's nice to know that they're there. So I'm wondering whether I can keep a long email list of them and just schedule send an email to myself with this list every month. So what it's doing is it's just at least putting it in front of me again rather than putting it away somewhere. I haven't tried that before, but I am going to try that this week and see if I can put some sort of routine in. And it's very easy to schedule email sends now once a month once every two weeks or something to just to reactivate that part of my brain that had that idea in the first place. I love that. So give it a try and report back to us so we know. And of course, we want to know if you all have your own strategies, your own methods, which you probably do. And we'd love to hear about them. I will tell you, for me, I have to have specific notebooks to the specific topic. So at any one time, I probably have 10, 11, maybe a dozen little, little, cheap and expensive spiral notebooks. And, and, and that allows me to categorize where that idea fits in. Because I used to use the post-it note. I used to use the, the, the board. And it became difficult to look at because there were so many things going on. For me, I need some level of symmetry to the ideas, categorization. Uh, so therefore, when it's time to put my headspace into that area of my life, if I go to that notebook, I hope all of those ideas are there. That thrills me that you can keep one notebook for one subject. I dream of being able to keep one notebook for one subject. I think there's lots of little things that can really help with the storing of ideas. But of course, the big thing is to do something with those ideas and I think it's an area we'll come back to in another podcast, Stuart, because there's a big gulf between having an idea, storing the idea, and then doing something with it. And I think there will be a lot of ADHDers out there that may feel some resonance with that idea, that they have many, many, many ideas, but there's something about translating the idea into actual action. Um, which is, is quite difficult. It can be not difficult, but challenging, I think, for some of us. And speaking for me, I, I'm disappointed. I tend to be disappointed in myself if I can't exercise, initiate, uh, implement all these ideas. I, although upon reflection, wow, look how many I did implement I still stay on the side of disappointment. So that's definitely a big subject area to talk about. And there's a quote that I like using by Mary Kay Ash. I'm sure you've heard it before. Ideas are a dime a dozen. People who implement them are priceless. And I try to use that as a positive, not as a negative, that I am worth less if I don't exercise or, or do that idea. But I want to use that as a motivator to get it done, to say that, hey, I tried this, it worked, or I tried that idea and it didn't. At least I gave it a go versus stagnation. I think this is something, Stuart, that we'll come back to, isn't it, in a future podcast, because I think there's a lot to discuss there and unpick about how our executive functions may get in the way between the idea we have and where we want to go with it. One thing that I, I do really want to leave people with today is this idea that 
just because ideas may come easily to you out there, it doesn't mean we should devalue them. Because our ability to come up with ideas, to problem solve, to creatively think, even though they may seem effortless at the time, all rely, all draw on past experiences, our understandings, our abilities to see patterns, our abilities to understand how things fit together. And so it's not just the idea, it's the whole backstory of the idea as well. So though they may come easily to you, they are a valuable resource and they're your valuable resource. So I think it's just important to realise that there is a value to them and a value to your experience you bring to them. Bring your ideas to the world. They should be heard. I, I, I believe that. I Tried This, It Worked is created by Emma Aylett and Stuart Cohen. We're curious. What's worked for you? We would love you to join in on the conversation. Find out how you can by visiting itriedthisitworked.com. Thank you.